Oh, OK, thank you. Well, um, I'm sure you'll agree that, um, I mean, who cares what happens next? You know, I mean, what a, what a riveting, um, kind of densely layered thing you've created, Lenny. So um, the first thing that struck, struck me about it when I first saw it was the character, your character of Nelly. Is that feels like such a kind of uh, complicated guy. It feels like someone you might have had in your head for a long time. Is that the case? Does it start with him? Does it start with that character? Um, strangely enough, it didn't, really. Um, it started with a, a kind of genesis of an idea that was part of something else that I was writing, which was... Um, and uh, a part, uh, it was something else I was going to tell you, but it just bore you. But there was, there was a part of it which was about a father who was missing from or um, separated from his child and was kind of brought back into, his, uh, bring back, brought back into her life uh, after um, she went missing. And, um, and that was bubbling kind of around. And then Anne um, phoned up and asked whether or not um, I had an idea that I might be interested in pitching to Sky. And that idea just popped into my head. And that was really the genesis. But in the original idea, the Nelly-type character was a bit more, he had a certain set of skills. And um, <laughs> he was ex-cop or he was ex-army or something. And it, it felt a bit like he stood a chance. And every time I was writing it, it felt a bit formulaic and like I'd said I'd seen it before and then I thought well what if he's useless <laughs> what if he's actually just rubbish at most things in his life and um and once I'd kind of come up with that notion and let it percolate and found the location for him the rest of everything else fell into place so Anne we have to come to you what, what was it about Lenny that obviously apart from his uh, extraordinary career so far that want that, what was it about Lenny that you wanted you wanted to work with and what kind of thing were you looking for from him Yes. which was amazing, and I'd seen Storm Damage, which was also unbelievable. Um, but then with this, it was that what um, Lenny said was this one line, which was the worst thing that ever happened to her which could be the best thing that ever happened to him. And it was just this idea that you could do something that felt like a thriller, but that actually was the story of a man's sort of rise to being his best self, which completely captivated me. Um, and the first time the script came in, it mentioned Lewisham Station. And I was just like, <laughs> and to, to be honest, there was a sort of this baked in authenticity that you just so rarely see. And it had names of places that I, I'm a South Londoner as well, that I recognised and people that you recognised. And it was a really easy decision at that point because we just loved it from the beginning. Because yeah. it is still rare, isn't it, Leif? It, it's it's very rare sort of to have um, dramas or any kind of TV, scripted TV set in this kind of world, the world of, the world of a council state, but one that's not seen from a kind of stereotypical point of view. And is that yeah. part of the appeal, what you wanted to show? Well, to be honest, it, it became such as things get closer to being made and things, so you have to kind of deal with it and talk about it. But I didn't set it in Lewisham because I was like, no-one else is writing anything about Lewisham. <laughs> <laughs> it was just that it made... It made sense to me, and, um, and that's why I wanted to set it. And it was someplace, even though I'm a South West Londoner, um, it's someplace that I knew. I had family members who lived in and around that kind of place. And I wanted to write about, I wanted to write a thriller. That's what the one thing. I wanted to test myself and see if I could write a thriller. And, I wanted, and when I thought about it, setting it in Lewisham just seemed to make sense to me. And setting it in a place that people wouldn't expect and about, about people who wouldn't expect. And and have the thriller theme, but just write about these group of people and seeing what, as Anne says, that roads to some kind of redemption, what it does to the individual, but also what it does to the people immediately around him, and also what it does in the, in the kind of wider community. It just, it just made sense to me, really. And did you find it, how hard did you find it to construct that thriller, the thriller around it? Because I'm wonderful, it is a classic whodunit, and you've, got, you've laid out very carefully the, this array of characters, any of whom could be responsible for this crime so was that did you find it kind of hard to sort that out or did it did it come to you quite easily? I had a lot of help yeah. and to a certain extent I had a lot of help from Simon at World and my and um, Jess who's our my agent and the exec producer on it and when Nick came on board were very good at kind of I'd throw out an idea and they would we could bat it around and 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 that's when it it just it, that's when I really loved it actually that's when it was a real lot of fun when it was kind of becoming a kind of collaborative thing and when we were starting to cast people and um yeah, it was great. I mean, it just made sense. And, and you could shape things. I could say, like, I'm thinking about doing this. And people would, yeah, I could tell immediately, particularly this one. He's like, if he liked it, he'd do that. <laughs> if he didn't like it, go, oh, yeah. Yeah. That's an idea. Yeah. yeah. Be like that. So, 
Um, so, it, yeah, I had, a, I had a lot of help when in places where I kind of needed it, and I asked for help when I kind of um, needed it. But I was lucky when I got the original kind of genesis of the idea, I knew what was going to happen in episode six. I knew what was going to... I knew what the... The beat was going to be in episode six. I knew who done it, and I knew what was what was going on. So it made it easier. I just right. had to write to that point. Yeah. So Nick, you've directed the whole thing. Yeah. All six episodes. Yeah. So there are bold kind of things in this. For example, there's a long in the first interrogation scene, which is a very long scene in itself. Mm. There's a huge moment of silence. There's a big yeah, pause where they, they're all kind of staring each other out. Look, if they'd remember their lines, we wouldn't have it. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, a lot of a lot of what's in the script, you can see what impressed. Uh, all of us really about the writing was that you didn't know what was going to happen next, and, and, and I don't mean that in a thriller sense. I just mean that in the in the idiom, in the in the construct of the scenes. So we went into it, the cast and and uh, everybody, um, being alert to does this feel like a TV drama or does this feel like a, a situation? And we talked about those phrases that came up, like people in a room with a problem. It's got to feel like people in a room with a problem, not a TV drama, and. Once we all sort of turned that antennae on, um, opportunities arose for that sort of thing, where I would be able to say, and it, you, know, you can't expect a cast to say, I just feel I would not say anything for 30 seconds here. <laughs> um, you need to liberate them to do that, but they are, they are eager to do that. They're, ke they're keen to do that, and, and that permeated into every layer of what we're doing. A man standing in a, in a garden with a football, I think one of us said, you'd kick the football. You know, you just play with the football. I don't care if your daughter's missing, you play with the football. And, so we tried to sort of model, much as the script isn't modeled on anything other than the way people are and is more interested in that, we just tried to make sure that the, every beat of it was modeled on how people actually behave rather than how they behave in a TV drama. Because I think the default position, and this goes for an amazing design team, amazing editor, by the way, is that the best editor thing you've ever seen in your life? <laughs> um, was always just confound expectations, just go on the offbeat, just, just, <coughs> just, just before the ball bounces, let's, let's you know. Um, and, that, and, that, and, and so that everybody got to grips with that, and they, they could all sort of deliver something that they weren't modelling it on something else they'd seen, and I think that's the difficulty with thrillers. So I'm intrigued, so it's part of that, I, mean, I was intrigued by the kind of little people you see wandering by on this, yeah. the, the, uh, yeah. right in the first scene, I think, there's a guy in the pyjamas walking around. Yeah, that's my father, unfortunately. No, <laughs> um, there's all these kind of people randomly who look quite odd and interesting and idiosyncratic. Was that, mm. was that in your script, or was that something that you kind of, you found those people and you kind of... It's weird, it's something that Nick brought in really early on. He was like, I'm going to try this thing, yeah. and they're not, they might not be, be, you know, be the right thing, but we're going to work on it and kind of get it, and I love them. Mm. I mean, I am, yeah, I, I really... There's one that's coming up later, so it's not in these two episodes, which is my kind of favourite. Really? Um, but, the, yeah, I, I... Not the one with the skateboard? It, the one with the skateboard's great. There's one that comes up later on where um, some people walk out of their flat and they walk past the lady in a complete burqa and she lifts it up and she vapes this big <laughs> cloud of but smoke actually, I out. Saw that, I saw that in, I live in Acton. It's a big uh, community and I saw that in Acton. And all of that, that we just wanted to permeate the world with a sense that there are, there are, this, this is filled with a group of people who don't care mm. that the girl's missing. Who, the Tai Chi man doesn't care that this guy's arrested. Yeah. It's just another cop. Yeah. And so, and to not have those interacting little worlds being bland, politely walking past, to be overt, and and that goes for again for a lot of Melanie's designs is to overtly say we're going to draw far more attention to this than it warrants because actually the person who designed this room didn't know that they were in a nice polite thriller mm. where they weren't supposed to draw attention from Nelly. So making sure we were brazen about that and the texture of the world and, and to always get this feeling that they, and I do find this, and you know, I don't, I think you can probably tell I didn't grow up in southeast London. Um, <laughs> but every time I visited... Um, Did you, you know, grow up in Surbiton? Yes, yeah, no, yeah, but it, the, the, you, the sights and sounds you see in those, yeah. in those communities are just more interesting than you get in Chiswick. And, we, and Patrick, the producer, and I were always saying, you wouldn't get this in Chiswick. You've got, to find, you've got to fill this with things you wouldn't see in Chiswick, <laughs> you know, um, because if the, you know, it's not cockapoo and woman, you know, yeah. that's what you see in Chiswick, yeah. you know, whereas all of that is, uh, yeah. is unique and, and to give this sort of granular, interesting quality to the, to the, yeah. the, uh, the world. Um, it's got an incredible, like, Rolls-Royce cast, isn't it, Lenny? I mean, oh, Saran... No, it's like directing livestock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Stephen, um, Kerry Godlinman, incredible. Did you have any of these? I mean, you know Stephen obviously a while. Did you have these people in mind when you wrote it? When you wrote the characters, or did they were they cast? Well, there were certain people like Stevie and uh, Saran and uh, Jason Fleming, and that once we knew they were interested, it was kind of no-brainers really. They were just names we threw out. But the thing that I was kind of to a, I found most kind of gratifying and, and kind of made me feel like we're kind of solid is the kind of people you didn't expect, like Kerry, like the guys that mm. all here. Yeah, <laughs> outstanding. Yeah. <laughs> but they were just great. And they had this kind of um, real excitement about working on the script and that. And, it, and I wanted to write a script that the scripts that were actor friendly. That um, as an actor, I know when you pick up a script, you kind of go, oh, I've done that before, but I'll do it again. Um, but the unwanted actors to kind of go, I can put something in that. I can add something to that. I can bring something to that as opposed to I can say those lines. And, um, and I think we, we, we did that and, and it kind of felt like that on on set that people were kind of... And the nuts to do it. That involved, right? I mean, yeah. Steve, you had big... Steve and Lenny had big scenes with, a, with a actress Alice who, who hasn't done a lot of these size mm. of scenes. And people can drown in that. And to have a young cast that can say, no, no, I'm going to go for this. I'm going to contribute. And it's... Uh, you know, when you get a young cast who are teaching the old hands to raise their game and think, oh, Christ, I've got to be on this, because they're absolutely... They've turned up. That's exciting for directors, for all of us. Stephen, it's kind of hard to talk about character because obviously there's a lot that's going to be unpacked as it goes on. But we've seen enough to know he's an intriguing figure. What was your first reaction when you read the script? What was what was your feeling about him? Um, it, for me personally, it, it, it was the script. I don't. I'll just be dead honest. Hannah reads the scripts first, and if they're any if they're any good, then she says it's, this is worth a read. Um, <laughs> <coughs> but with this one in particular. Uh, for me, you know, she, she's kind of started reading it. She went just quickly up and started reading it. And for me, it was the script that drew me in. But it, I wanted to pick up on that point. You know, it was, it's more... I know we follow we follow Nelly, but to me, it was more of an ensemble piece because, I mean, and I don't mean to sound pretentious or wanky in any way, shape or form, but Stanislavski says, you know, there's no small roles, only small actors. Um, and in this, in particular, what I was, just to pick up on that point, what I was so impressed by was all the other cast. How their dedication, how their their drive, you know, we all kind of met each other roughly um, at that costume mm. place. And just to see the transformation, um, she went from this beautiful long hair to then next minute head shaved and it's red. And, and it's the, it was the depths that people were prepared to go to, to honour the script because it was the script that drives you in primarily. But then it, it's them making it their own, you know, with the guidance and the trust that, that you have for Nick. You, you know, you, you literally... You will, you will jump off a cliff for him because you believe in the piece that you're doing and you believe that he has the care and the tenderness to, to take care of you, do you know what I mean? And, mm. and for me, there was, there was kind of, you know, because I was coming and going and stuff and I'd go to Lenny, oh, what was the scene like? What was receiving? And he's like, oh, my God. <laughs> and so you, you were finding out what different people have been doing while you'd been away. Mm. And then that, that, you know, there was always, uh, the way I see it these days, you know, I really, I want to get to school to learn. But there was that excitement about, so what had happened while you'd been away? And just, just as a collective, as a group of people collectively, what Lenny said and, what, and you know, to pick up on what Nick said, it was a fantastic cast. Mm. It really those, was an amazing Those cast. ensemble scenes in the pub come up. Yeah. Because that feels like I mean, a hard thing to do to make it feel real. You know, pub, pub scenes are in soap operas and things like that. But that, it felt so authentic that kind of that's how this gang of people would... I think they're made hard. I think people kind right. of look at it and go, oh, that's going to be difficult, and then it becomes difficult. I don't think it's that... Really? I genuinely don't think it's that tough. I mean, I think if everybody knows their lines and everybody's thinking the right thing and they say the things in the right place and they have the right intention, <laughs> fucking job gets done. It's a writer okay. talking. <laughs> it's really not that complicated. But even stuff like the fact that you're talking over each other a bit, all, all of you characters in, that, in those scenes a bit, that's, even that is quite unusual in drama. After, after a while, you get used to it. And that's on the page. He's, this is bullshit, what he's saying. <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's it may be easier for us to deliver, but yeah. it's so bloody hard to write that. And, and masses of dual dialogue. You've got eight pages of shark dicks. Yeah. And there's double, you know, and one of the first the things I said... Truth yeah, and, and the absolutely truth Look it up. And, and one of the first things I said to, to, to Lenny, we met in, in uh, we were both filming overseas, and we met in New York and you know, to first sort of, you know, get to know each other and things. And I said, you know, we're never going to get the timing right on that dialogue. You just have to give that up a bit and, and be a bit flexible about the... And he was, he was flexible. But actually, as it came out, right, it was where it was supposed to be. It was where it landed. And so... 
yes, it's easy for us to easier for us to deliver. And the shark dick scene was the first scene we shot, oh. first slate on on uh, on yeah, uh, Tom. First day. Uh, first day. And um, but it came out the way the governor put it in. And so it's easy to say it's deliverable. But you, how many times you see these scenes where you go, oh, come on, people don't talk that way. Yeah, right. And I think there's a rare thing that some writers have, which they can communicate what a character is thinking without the character knowing what they're thinking. Mm. And, I, and, and when it's on the page, and any, anybody who reads a lot of scripts will, will know exactly what I'm talking about, when it's on the page, you, it, you, your heart lifts because you think, God, you've managed to seep out information about this without anybody in the room actually knowing what they feel. Mm. You know, that's... And for you, was, was that kind of authenticity that Zai said in his introduction at the beginning, that he, it's Sky looking at British stories yeah. that have that, that feel like they have a kind of, you know, prime TV uh, peak kind of uh, uh, quality to them, which certainly does, but is the Britishness and that authenticity of the world in here key for you? Yeah, but I think even more than the Britishness, and I think there's something really interesting at the moment about reflecting the world we live in, um, rather than always fantastical worlds, but actually... What we do at Sky is scale, and this is scale of emotion. And for me, it's a real Sky show, because it was really interesting listening to the audience who didn't quite know they were allowed to laugh, probably for the first half, and I could feel Nick twitching beside me about whether you were... And then by the end, everybody was properly laughing. And that's, that's what I'm so excited that we can do at Sky, which is complexity of tone, complexity of character, and then actually making somewhere in South London look amazing. Like, I think it looks beautiful. Mm. And it has as much beauty as Riviera or Britannia or any of our shows that have obvious scale because of the way that these guys went into it. Um, and it's really, really, super, it's unbelievably challenging. But that emotion is truthful and it draws you in and you can't look away. Mm. And surely that's the best drama. Did you have the, uh, that look of it? Which because there are kind of you know there there are moments that feel almost like surreal. There's where you you know kind yeah. of that kind of quality to it, and in very interesting visual quality, particularly in the on the estates. I didn't as have well. it. From the, I didn't have it from the beginning, but we we'd been um, very early, and I I think that as an industry we we really must do this, where directors and and the broadcasters should meet very 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 early to just talk about what they need it to be, what what she or he wants to, to put into the script as director. Um, and, and a very early conversation about that. I knew I had to have, if I was going to come in and say, right, um, this is what I'd like to do, what do you want? And I had to have an idea. And Jess and Simon and I had talked, and Patrick had talked very early about the idea of it being, uh, in all meanings of the word, colourful. Um, not like a sitcom colour, but just the textures. I mean, the, 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 the idiosyncrasies being part of the colour. But there's a, a photographer called uh, Neil, Neil McDermott who's... A, who's, who's photographed British life very well. And they're always with hits of colour. And that, so that started to sort of put together the style file of it. And the colour coding, you're probably too early in the series to be able to tell that the, 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 on some level the characters are colour coded. Um, the, the, the girl in the purple, uh, Jodie in the purple coat being looked at with purple glasses and the yellow and the thing. You know, all of these things begin to chime as a sort of back uh, meaning. But um, that, that all... That all pretty much evolved later when, when Melanie was on board and Chaz, the mm. DOP, was on board. And the puffer jacket? The puffer jacket ah, was... Ah. was um, Genius. Yeah, the puffer jacket was... Uh, um, uh, I, I think I set out to one day, I wanted a red one. I think we talked about... I, I think I wanted a striking jacket. And um, actually, my, my wife found the yellow one and said... Um, this is before Sam was on board. Uh, amazing, <laughs> amazing costume designer. Um, and my wife found the yellow puffer, and so she's she's responsible for that. Well, it feels iconic after two episodes already. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm afraid it doesn't take it off. It's really sweaty and awful. It's kind of, it's like it's it's a twisted little red rag, isn't it? Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. In many sense, because you, no matter where he is on the screen, your your eye is completely drawn to yeah. that yellow puffer jacket, Absolutely. which yeah. is brilliant. Yeah. And going back to that point, you know, it seems kind of European in its mm. look, very French, yeah, slightly yeah. Italian with the likes of Gamora and things like yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Completely. And the surrealness is okay to cheat that. It's okay to roll that in a little bit, just to push it a little bit yeah. further. Because I think the, you know, nobody wanted it to be brutally real, but also it's okay, it's okay once the magical realism of, of the child's appearance starts to roll into the story, and um, it allowed us to sort of push things further down that. And there's a class thing going on clearly, isn't it? Because because the, the the new money middle class home in yeah. suburb is clearly like minimalist and. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, it's there. I mean, I mean, much more important for me, 
I'm going, kind of carrying on from what we're saying about the way that it looked and the splashes of colour, is in amongst this thriller, in amongst this story of a missing child, I also wanted to celebrate that part of London that I was writing about. Yeah. I, wanted, I wanted people to kind of go, so it, you know, all the other things taken into account, you can still have a life there and you can still love and you can still get laid and you can still dance and you can still row a boat in a, in a conc on concrete oh, yeah, yeah. and you can still walk around in your pyjamas and you can still smoke a vape and do a burka. <laughs> and it's, and it's, all, it's all possible and it's all part of the world and, and this other thing is going on as well and it's, and it's important that, that the world that it was set in was, uh, was firm so that we could keep returning to this other thing that's kind of going on and, and Nelly's here and then he's out there, but he's still got to deal with life. Mm. You know, people still go shopping. Um, you know, they still get, you know, kind of get on with it. And it wasn't just the, the you know, the, the missing kid and all the, the time. Script, the script contains that, doesn't it? The, 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 the willingness, although there's, a, there's this awful thing at the middle of it all, people are always still willing to have a, a, a light comment about that or to be concerned about this. It's not this, uh, there's, I've seen a lot of telly lately that is it's always stumbling from writer deceit to net to writer deceit right now that i need the characters to do this i know they wouldn't perhaps do this but i need them to do this because they whereas whereas that we've got enough thriller if you like yeah. you know people talk about the thrillers and hitchcock and everything there isn't a lot of plot in hitchcock there's masses of character rear window is as much about the, yeah. the two's relationship as it is about what's happening over there it isn't just thriller 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 and 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 that's what lenny's done so well that that there is a willingness to to just to let your characters be human beings for a moment that, that happen to be in the middle of a bad thing. And I think that, that makes the, the bad thing feel worse. Yeah. I think, just, sorry, just to pick up on that point as well. Um, if you look at kind of the, where they live and the environment that they're in, you know, behind each one of these doors, there's a, there's, there's a life there, there's someone in there. But if I think about it properly, just from the stuff I've seen, I don't, I'm not too sure if any of us have got jobs. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what I'm trying to say... No, yeah, so what I'm trying to say about that is, you know, that if you were to... If you, what's the representation of that class or that society on television? Probably Channel 5, scrounges on benefits, mm -hmm. do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, it, and it's kind of... We take the piss out of it in many ways, you know what I mean? And, yeah. we, look, and we look at people's destitution with a, from a fucking big, massive tower... And we, you know, we scorn on it and we, we, when we comment on it. But what this does to me personally mm. is show you what life is like behind those doors. Mm. And I think it's captured beautifully. There's romance, there's sadness, there's happiness, there's, you know, there's sorrow. And it just, it, it allows us, because it's so well written and because it's so character based, it allows us as actors to tell the truth. Mm -hmm. To just have a little sneaky look behind them closed doors. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Did you get to read the whole thing when you were sent the script? Did you, did you know? How did you see how it kept them? No going? one did. I no one finished did. writing. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. No, the day before we shot it. You know, he had you hadn't. They trapped no, tra tra Paul Lenny in a room, I yeah. think. Yeah, like, really. It was his agent. Really? Yeah. He had to come and act. He had to come and shoot for the day and then go. Yeah, and Lenny was shooting and writing. Wow. Literally, he was going back the weekend and writing. And I'd catch him out. I'd say, Did you see the Spurs game? He'd say, Yes. I'd say, You should have been writing. <laughs> well, Spurs, dude. Yeah. Chill out. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I would, I would film Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then I'd write Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Wow. And oh, um, seriously, it's just. And luckily, Marlon and Daniel. I don't know if they're here. Are they here? Oh no. Anyway, Marlon and Daniel took some pre some of the pressure off of me, and they wrote episode four. Okay. But um, so that I could go and um, and the write. Spurs so game. Go to the Spurs <laughs> game and then write five and six. Yeah. Spurs do sickeningly well. I say that as an Arsenal fan. Um, oh, dude. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Um, so you didn't, did you? So you didn't know how it was going to end up. You didn't. At what point did you find? When you found out, without obviously giving anything away, and when you found out what happened, to A to your character and B in the end, what was your, what was your feeling about the whole thing? Um, I, the, the twist is amazing. Is it? Oh. Yeah, I think there's many. Oh. <laughs> All I said was the twist yeah. is amazing. <laughs> Well, I think there's, there's many twists within it as well. That's <laughs> <laughs> also truthful, as you will see. In, no, but there's lots of things that happen where you go, oh my God, I wasn't expecting that. Mm. Which is great, mm. because, you know, as the governor just beautifully, eloquently put it, it's, it is a thriller, but there's so much more going on around it. Yeah. You know what I mean? We just didn't want to be anybody to be able to pause it and say what was going to happen literally in the next five seconds. Right. We wanted at any stage to say, 
I don't know. I don't know. Okay, that's why the writing takes takes turns, but but just in the manner of mm. the delivery, mm. just in the mise en scène, just in the blocking, if you like. The, uh, just so confirm. in answer to your question, we just trusted them. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? Fair enough. Yeah. Because that first episode was enough to suck you in. So yeah. You went okay. Yeah. Let's see what happens. Yeah. Normally, I wouldn't do that though. <laughs> Would you ever do that? Take a job without the script being finished? <laughs> I do it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. 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 I mean, I know the exact back 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 us up on this. The fact that there was a, a shared direction from the broadcaster. There was at no stage any of this, oh, God, they want me to do it. They absolutely encouraged us. We were tacit and clear at the beginning about what it is we thought we wanted to do. Anne was very clear about what she needed it to be as a, why she loved the project, what she needed it to be as a broadcaster. And, and therefore, there wasn't any conflict. There was no shouting in cutting rooms. There was no... Uh, confusion about what it is we're making. And there's a lot of projects where the lights come up at the end of the screening and the broadcaster thought they were getting a thriller and they thought it was getting a thing and it's not. The, uh, and that's where all the conflict lies. And, and it's been amazing. And I, I'm not just saying this because Anne's here, but it's been amazing the fact that the, the enthusiasm and the encouragement to say, yeah, trust your heart. Trust, trust where you, Lenny wants to take it. Trust where you want to take it. Um, rather than any anxiety about, oh, but what if, oh, uh, yeah. there's been none of that. Well, I was going to ask you about that, because, because as Lily says, it is a thriller, and it, and it works br br brilliantly effectively as that, but it also is such a character study, mm -hmm. isn't it? And such a, it has it's so many different kind of layers and stuff. Is, it, is that what you wanted, or is it kind of hard in a way to sell that? You know, it can't be easily summed up maybe in a line or a genre. Honestly, I loved it, and I loved what they were always going to do with it. And there was a moment, I should say, Lizzie Gray was yeah. very... Um, the exec who was on there day to day, and she rang me and she just went, they made me cry. And you don't know Lizzie, but she is proper hard Scottish. And she just was just like, and you just knew it's, it's emotional, it's truthful. I think going back to the class thing, it's all the characters have agency, like they are in charge of their own destiny. And we so often portray characters like that as victims of something. Mm -hmm. And these are full throttle, in your face, characters that own their own lives. And that's all it was, and it was on the page. And then Nick came and just sort of worked with that. And the actors are all unbelievably brilliant. And my friends on Twitter, which I really love. And so, yeah, I, it, was, it was easy to, it's nothing to do but with me. It's embarrassing being on the stage because it was nothing to do with me because these guys are amazing. Sure. But actors, actors are professional and they, will, and they know the form. And you get character nine, often character nine just knows, I've, it's about character one and two. And, and you've got to encourage a cast to say, as far as character nine's concerned, she's the centre of the universe. So you don't behave in a way that's sort of polite to everything else. Mm. And there, there is an expectation, a default position that all artists have when they come to it, designers and, and, and editors and everything, to they, they want to deliver what they feel is expected of them. And it's incumbent on, frankly, the director, but, you know, the collective, to, to, to free that up and say, base it on what matters in your world. And if it's too much, if it's too distracting, if it's too, then I'll put my hand in the air and bother you about it. But to free them up, because in the, in the lack of, if, if you don't give actors that, they will turn, what they, turn in what they think. Or if they don't free up a, a designer, Melanie, we just said, knock yourself out, build these worlds for these people and go for it. And, and, and as, as wild and silly and wonderful and idiosyncratic as you want. And I'm not gonna be there going, flames on the wall, oh my God. You know, yeah. because, because she was designing what was in her head, not what was the, the expectation. Mm. Mm. It's, so, it's so important, I see so much of it. Yeah. Every single character goes on a journey. Yeah. Yeah. Every single character has an arc. Every oh. single character does <laughs> yeah. one after yeah. well, Before I throw it over to um, the audience, I was gonna ask about the, the police element, because it feels like also, You've got incredibly real um, the way the way the police behave and the way the investigation has been conducted, and, and it feels like the most real thing outside of line of duty, which obviously you're in series one. Um, did you, so did, was that? Did you do have to do a lot of research? Did you get experts in to help you, or did you, did that come from? We had some experts in quietly, um, kind of later on, just to tell me where I'd gone wrong. But we were lucky because um, Simon Heath um, is is like the police guru. He kind of goes, well, yeah. when we did cops or when we did line of duty, we that you can't do that. Or it would be like that, and he was a, he was our first touchstone. He was the, as a, a lot of the time, the, the most sensible voice in the room, yeah. and he was the one who would just kind of go, "Well, you have to think about that because we you, we I've been in this situation," and he just he had he had got there. And also, again, it wasn't I didn't want it to be kind of policey actually, yeah. and it's one of if I have any real kind of 
regret um, uh, about the, you know, what ends up on the cutting room floor. It's a lot of the stuff that Nadine did, a lot oh. of the stuff that Nadine Marshall did. Some of us, the sink, there's a growing relationship that happens in this, the versions that I had written that we had to, you know, super, edit, super. where we had to kind of, um, we had to, uh, where she has a growing relationship with Nelly, where mm. she becomes the person that Nelly goes to. She, a bit like the scene where he kind of goes, can I have a look at, and the secret squirrel bit. <sighs> Um, a, a bit like that, that relationship kind of grows and grows and later on she comes and said and kind of she has a real subtle kind of friendship that starts to grow in there and I'm sorry that we kind of, we uh, lost a large chunk of that and it's my mission to make it up to Nadine. But she still, she does, I was thinking of her, she does feel very not policey, she feels, doesn't feel like she feels like a Yeah and again it's because she's a fantastic actress oh, and it was because we were trying to take the curse of what police, that's why I love the scene where they're in the middle of talking to each other and the light goes off. Yeah. And that was, that was Nick, that's and that so whole good. kind of, yeah. you know, having to do that. Those thing. details are so clever. Just yeah. immediately it takes him off. Or the yeah. first, they went off. Or the first somebody, time no, we some, We were shooting that and somebody turned them off accidentally. And I thought, oh, that's nice. That's yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Right, let me throw it open to the audience. We've got some roving mics. Who wants to go first? Yeah, uh, guide us up there. Hello. Um, I just wondered if Saran had any reservations about doing Save Me and Frozen, which obviously have similar storylines, and did she consider turning one down in favour of the other because of that? She's not here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think, I don't think I, we can answer that. I don't think I can answer because I'm not absolutely sure whether she knew about Frozen at the time she took our work. I imagine she didn't, so she's taken Frozen. I mean, we were shooting this, we wrapped about a year ago, so... Uh, my suspicion is she took Frozen having done this, but I can't speak for whether she was um, anxious about that or, or not. Sorry, thank you. Uh, who's next? Oh, yeah, lady up there. Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, a lot of us know Saran for Dr. Foster and Stephen for Never heard of it. <laughs> Little Boy Blue. I was just wondering about the decision to make all the episodes available at the same time. Therefore, not having like the water cooler moment, but if you could talk about that decision. Uh, we box set everything on Sky Atlantic, so it's just what we do with everything <coughs> because um, we want people to watch it in their own time and we find that, that our customers really love it that way. So it's just to do it because you don't have to, it's on, it's on weekly as well if you want to have that, but people seem to really enjoy the freedom to watch it all in a go. I almost defy anybody not to like buzz this through to the end, if I'm honest. Yeah. It's garlic bread, isn't it, basically? <laughs> <laughs> you can binge on... As you can binge on it. Yeah. It will be binged, definitely. <laughs> yeah, ladies and gentlemen. You've me if you want to. Right, this is a question for Stephen. Um, well, obviously, we don't know a great deal about your character just yet, but we have a taster of the type of person he might be. You say you were drawn in by the script, but did you have any reservations about playing that type of character? Not at all, no. Um, no, I know I can't give too much away about my character, um, but not at all. Um, that's, what, that's what I'm saying, where you know you have that complete trust in, in your director. Um, but also, we are telling a story about somebody who has a past and it's very it's a very kind of gray area because it's neither black nor white um, and then it's kind of the extent this man will go to not to redeem himself but in order to help a friend and what he's prepared to put himself through so I, d I didn't have any reservations at all um, because I think my duty is is to tell st is to be a part of something that tells stories and this is a story that that I really think needs to be told and plus he'd wrote it. <laughs> and also I would say at this stage, there's no way, I'd, I will genuinely give 100 quid to anybody if they could guess what Stephen's journey, Stephen's character's oh, yeah. journey in, oh, this, yeah. Yeah. in this show is gonna be, none of you yeah. will get it. <laughs> and that's not me bigging myself up, it's just me bigging myself up. <laughs> <laughs> that's exciting, I'm excited. There's a lady in the mid front row, second row, sorry to make you run down. <laughs> Right in the middle of it. So can you pass the mic? Sorry. <laughs> Cheers. Hi, this uh, um, uh, question for Nick. Um, how long was your prep? How long did it take to shoot? What was the most challenging bit of shooting this? Directing these guys is the biggest challenge. That was 
getting a performance out of them. Um, I prepped Patrick. Patrick, the producer's here. Um, prep was about 12 weeks or something. We shot in two blocks. We shot the first three episodes, and then we had a massive two-day break between... <laughs> to, so the crew could prep hiatus. the next three. A hiatus. Um, and I think it was... Uh, 15-week shoot, was it not, Patrick? Something like that. 14 or 15-week shoot. And we had a week at the end without Lenny because he went back to kill zombies. So <laughs> um, we had to cram the first AD, Richard Harris, did a smashing job. It was the same crew throughout, same first, same everybody. Um, and we crammed in all the non-Nelly stuff at the end um, that we could do without him. Um, and But the challenge... Do you know what? I don't... I, I, I didn't not enjoy any of it. I, I, it was all great, because you're working with really good people, and I'm sorry to keep going back to Aurel Otti, the editor, but Aurel is, if anybody, any, you know, most people in the industry will know who Aurel is, but it, it's, it's, you're working with people like that. I mean, it's just, it's, you go to work, it's a joy. I see his first assemblies. That, that police scene is basically his first assembly in the, in the in interview room. It's, he's, he's made a pact with the devil, that guy. And, um, <laughs> so, no, there wasn't really a stress. The, the composer, Dustin O'Halloran, was a delight to work with, coming with some very left-field ideas and a very much more gentle approach than perhaps anybody would imagine. Um, there wasn't... Uh, I loved it. Yeah. I was going to ask about the music, actually, because, A, the, music, the, the, the score is brilliant, but also choose the special stereotype as the only type seems... Perfect. Was that, did you, was that your choice? Was that... Do you know what? We had, we had um, different versions of what that song was going to be right up until um, Nick said to me at one point, um, we, should, we should just try. And what about stereotype by this? But I said, we're never going to get it. We're just <laughs> never going to get it. Because we had something else and, you know, I'll say it, Mumford and Sons said no. And, um, Is that why you had the Mumford and Sons joke? Yeah. That's why I did, well, the Mumford and Sons joke was before they said no. And I was like, leave it in there. It's like we're taking the piss out of it. And, um, so Mumford and Sons said no. And then, uh, and then we were doing uh, an, a, a different one. Um, actually, the song that Rajivan sings uh, at the karaoke. The Jamie T. The Jamie T. Yeah. Then that was going to be it. And then... Um, and then Nick said, well, we should just try for the specials and just see whether or not they'll, they'll let us do it. And I think Tom kind of um, found uh, a kind of live version of it and kind of went, it'd be great if you could get, kind of get that one. And, um, and we the did. Photo, the photos from the titles we, we, we shot in about two hours in the pub and the costume and art department, they sort of redressing all the people. But we wanted to start the piece with this sense of this is a, this is a ready formed community of people. Right. Um, and I shot them on my little camera, and, and, and so that, that was a sort of self. We did all that ourselves, really. And but I was I was very very chuffed that we got the special. Yeah. Yeah. They said, so, yeah. and they said yes because I'm a massive scar. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. perfect. Yeah. And it's that that whole thing where you go into certain pubs if you've never been there before, and you just see a board with loads of pictures yeah. on, and you, you can't help it. You look at them, and then and then you look, and then you turn round, and then you'll see him over there. <laughs> <and you're> like, <laughs> Wow, these must come here off a lot. Because mm. so it gives you that about, sense of family. We, we were on a recce, weren't we? we? We saw Patrick and I were on a recce in, in, in that area, in Deptford, and, and, we, and a pub we were in. Do you remember that, Melanie? We were in there, and we, we saw one of those things, and that gave us the idea for... Brilliant. Sorry, I've asked another question. Oh, I, I've got two questions. Oh. Um, well, one, thank you very much for the cin cinematography that... Because I'm a South London girl, born and bred, and you made South London look beautiful and a real place, and all of those idiosyncratic characters exist, and it was real for me. Right. Two questions. Um, the dialogue is so naturalistic, and you had dual dialogue. Was there any improvisation, or was... I know, I know your cast is absolutely amazing, so they could handle it if it was all on the paper, but it was so naturalistic. Was there any improvisation for you, Lenny? And the second question is, and did you have a first look um, deal with Lenny? Because what was the log line? You talk about the script being so wonderful, but usually when you submit, you've got to do your little log line, it's about. What was it in that first initial you know, pitch that, that grabbed you? before you'd even got into the script, or did you just have the script straight away? And... 
know that it was good. So, two questions. Um, I'll do the improvisation one. There wasn't much improvisation. Um, um, the, the one thing that I was, if I was pernickety about anything, the one thing we said to the cast quite early on is um, because I spent a lot of time on the way that um, my characters speak. It's really important for me because it is like people speak, but it's not quite. There's a kind of cadence to the way I, I hear the voices in my head. There's a, a certain way I want people to have a turn of phrase. And so what we said to the cast was, as much as possible, can you try and say the lines? And if it becomes an issue, we'll change them. So I wasn't like, you have to say it the way I say it, but as much as possible, try and say what it was going to be. And then there were some scenes that just, the, it was about the situation or it was about the moment where people were free to kind of say what they were. But some of the scenes, it was really important <coughs> to me that the, the lines were what they were. And sometimes, and by sometimes, I, see, I mean quite a lot of the times, when people are free to um, improvise, all they really do is swear. Yeah. And um, you, don't really, you don't really get uh, necessarily a huge amount out of it. And if you are going to do stuff that's improvised, because I come from a, an improvisation background, if you are going to do stuff that's improvised, it takes quite a lot of rehearsal and focus on the character that you're playing. And um, so there wasn't much unless it was absolutely necessary. Oh, and I mean, it was two pages and a phone call. It was two pages and a phone call from Detroit. Yeah. And, um, and actually, even it was just, it was, I would argue if you read the two pages, it was on the two pages huh? right from the beginning. But that, and then the, the bit that I talk about when they say um, the worst thing that ever happened to her was the best thing that could ever happen to him wasn't a log line. It was just the last two lines of the, it was the last two, but yeah. I like remember it. It was, it was amazing from the two-pager onwards. Um, so, yeah. Thank you. There's a guy up there, I think he's got a microphone. Yeah, um, well done. Really enjoyed it. Um, I'm just wondering in terms of um, schedule, did you have any rehearsal time? And if so, did things from the rehearsal influence the rest of your, um, the other episodes? No, no, I don't really rehearse. We, t we meet in a room and we talk. We might... We might flesh through scenes in the sense of just a read through, just to hear the, to hear the words, hear the voices. But I, um, there's something about the need to get to the end of the shooting day and it to have felt like a day of rehearsal for me. And I, I, I just don't want to press that into a mold too early. And so the, the, in the space with each other, the magic of that, and a crew and a, an astonishing camera operator, Chaz Bain, who's DOP, who can keep up with the things as they occur. If the cast are free to do, we don't really block and there's no marks or anything like that. So, for example, when Saran couldn't undo her, her necklace, she just thought, I'll cross over and get him to undo it. And nobody's there going, oh, my God, you're out of the light. And um, So none of that. If you over-rehearse, you crush that. And uh, just come to set, know your words. There were no, nobody was allowed to hold sides on set. You do your homework, you come to set. Um, I get a bit cross with people who learn the words. And then, um, in a respectful way, of course. <laughs> um, but no, that, the magic is the, is the what if. And often with, the, with, with somebody like Steve, he, he, he I, you know, seems talking in front of him seems a bit strange, but you, he, he doesn't want to be told. Uh, you know, he needs the freedom of saying, just do something now. Just, just, just let something occur to you. And, and something will. And, for example, that line, that it got, I think got a laugh with he was, who's in your spare room? He is. And Steve's reaction, that, that the laugh, he didn't know he was going to do that. I didn't know. No one knew, but God knows he didn't know. And <laughs> it's not funny if he knows. And, and actors need that, I think. So I, that's why we don't rehearse. Thank you. A lady down here? There's one over there as well. Oh, I've been waiting thank for a while. You. Oh, okay. I was already there. Let's go. Oh, you've got the mic. Good. Oh, we've got the mic. Excellent. <laughs> Prepared. Um, Minori Rivenden from Broadcast Magazine. Um, I was actually curious, you know, a lot of the, the programs that are, have been particularly popular in the last little while have been sort of really gritty British dramas, things like Three Girls and most recently um, Kiri as well. What do you think is behind that trend? And, and perhaps this is a question for Anne as well in terms of, um, you know, you see a lot of international broadcasters, or broadcasters rather, um, you know, catering or making dramas a little bit more global-facing with international characters and whatnot, just so they can sell overseas. But Sky seems to be obviously really investing in, in British stories. Why, why have you chosen to 
you know, set aside this investment for homegrown fare? I mean, to be honest, we also have big... In, I think that specificity travels, and I think one of the reasons why I believe that this show is already selling around the world and will do unbelievably well is because what international audiences hate is something that feels made up in a somewhere world in the somewhere in the Atlantic. But the more specific it is, the more it speaks to you, and I would defy anybody from wherever you are globally not to empathise with Nelly. So for me... We don't really, we think about our customers first and foremost, but I don't see why, well, I know it's already selling around the world, so it's the great stories travel as well. And we do need to invest in homegrown talent. Yeah. And you, then you feel part of a gritty British movement? Yeah, I'll take that. But also, <laughs> yeah. um, I was writing a story for, like Anne says, I, was, I always write universal stories. I mean, right from... Um, I remember when um, I wrote Storm Damage and, and one of the problems with getting it made is that everybody kept thinking it was a story about black people for black people and I kept saying it's a universal story. And eventually they heard me and they put it out and, and lo and behold, it turned out to be a universal story. And um, that's what I write. I don't, I don't write going, I just want people in South East London to watch this and <laughs> everybody else, turn around, close your eyes. <laughs> yeah. You know, I want it out there. Yeah. And later. Yeah, I was just interested in... Um, the process of acting the own stuff that you've written? Because it's a strange thing when you're filming, you can work on a script, and then when you come to shot list, it somehow a different bit of your brain operates. I just wondered whether you were able to... How you saw it when you were acting your own words, whether you saw it differently as an actor, or whether you were still seeing it as a... I'm... Um, uh, I have a... Um, uh, I'm, I don't... Um, Actors are like with a like with a writer's head, and I don't write with an actor's head, kind of per se in in that sense. And um, again, with um, Nick and the cast and um, Jess and Simon, uh, who were around when we were making it, and Patrick, um, they gave me the room to be the actor. You know, so um, if there were script questions that came up when we were on set, the rule was everybody goes to Nick. So they didn't come to me and kind of go, when you wrote this, what were you thinking? Can I do that? So that wasn't, that wasn't a, a, a thing. And everybody was very kind of respectful of that. And, and then, you know, myself, and if there was something I felt like, um, actually, I've got to say something about that. Then, I, you know, yeah, I, you we, we, would, we would do this yeah. thing of kind yeah. of going up and getting a cup of tea, and I'd go, in that scene. <laughs> I just think she needs to dance yeah, okay, a little faster. <laughs> got it. And then I'd do that and kind of sit back. So I, I wouldn't really kind of, you know, we didn't want it like, oh, look, Daddy and Daddy are fighting in the corner. <laughs> so um, so um, when, I was on, when I was on set and I was acting, I was very much... The actor. But you weren't Nelly for a long time. When you were writing it, you, you told me you were No, I wasn't playing Nelly. No. I didn't think I was going to be able to play him in the first place. And it, and it helped me to think of somebody else. Um, uh, a, a funny thing happened when, after we'd got to the point where a number of people had read the first episode and the second episode and everybody went, oh, of course, you're going to be playing Nelly. And then I finally kind of went, OK, I'll, I'm going to be playing Nelly if we can make it work in between me killing zombies. And... Um, and then I had to do another draft of the script. And when I did another draft of the script, I kind of took Nelly completely out of it. I kind of was like, now I'm playing him. I'm not really that interested in him anymore. And, I, and they kind of went, where? When they read the script, they were like, where did Nelly go? Where is he? And uh, so I had to kind of put him in. So, um, I mean, in my head originally, um, uh, you know, when I'm writing it, I try and think of people, not always actors, but, you know, people. But um, in that particular situation, it was... Um, uh, there were different people who I would have firmly in my head, people I knew very well, that I could use as a, as a way of sustaining my way through play, um, um, writing about a character that I may well end up playing. And to, to be honest, Lenny's one of the most generous actors I've ever worked with in my life. Um, <clears throat> yeah, see, honest to mm. God, he, he really is, because, you know, even though he's, he's wrote this, there's not that kind of... You don't feel like you're with the writer and you're with the actor. He's, he's just... As we all were, but it, it, you see, it came from him. He wants it to be the best that it can be, and he fills you with confidence. Um, and what what was really lovely is because he's so completely different from the character he plays. You can see this real, uh, for me personally, especially looking in the eyes of the character. 
you can see a real vulnerability about Nelly that is layered upon layered upon layered with what he thinks he has to be and you know this whole journey he's going on but there's a real vulnerability in there um, that Lenny plays with in there and it's just completely different from obviously he's a very vulnerable man in many respects but it's that support he gives you do you know what I mean and you, you feel confident when you're acting with him the same as with you know with every single one of the actors and he gives show. everything off camera he gives you everything I mean the guys will back me up off camera he's not even on in the shot he's just off camera and they'll say to me He's going for it, you know. And tears running down his face. He's giving the whole thing because he doesn't know. You, you, you switch off from the filming process. Lenny doesn't ask, where am I? What shot's this? So that he just blanks that. Let me just, I'm doing my thing. And you just tell me when to start and when to stop. And so he doesn't get involved in what he need, when he can throttle back, when he can't, when he can't. Because you tie yourself in knots that way. Just, just tell the truth and uh, let the process sort itself out. And the beauty about that and the beauty about Lenny is... You know, there, there is no ego. No. There is no ego, whereas I'm not being funny enough. <laughs> I didn't say it. I wasn't saying <laughs> I'm just saying a lot of actors who had written something, do you know what I mean? You could kind of go down that road of how their ego would be huge upon something like this. But with someone like Lenny, with Lenny specifically, there's no ego, and that's a beautiful quality to have. And a fish One, rots as a man, but also down. as an actor. Uh, a fish rots from the head down if the top cast and the director or the DOP are all sort of rowing. Yeah. Than everything else, but if they're not. Yeah. Also, I was I was very very aware of how lucky I was. I was having a ball. Yeah, right. We all, know, were. we all were. We all were. Was just, this opportunity that I had, that you know, that I made it. I answered the phone and somebody okay. said yes, and then I I kind of write it, and then people are, you know, a, a, it's it's a. I was talking about it earlier today. That first moment when you walk on set and there's like a hundred people, hundred and twenty people have all come to work and are all giving it because of something you put down on a piece of paper for a laugh. Um, <laughs> or just, you know, just on the off chance. It's, um, I don't know why I'm doing that. It's, just, it's a weird thing. It's a bit nilly. It's a bit nilly. It's a bit nilly. It's kind of an amazing feeling. And, and, and Nick's right. There, there, were, there were members of our cast who were just doing great jobs, who were just really excited to be there and happy to be there. And there were members of the cast, we, we chucked some really tough things at them. Yeah. I mean, they didn't, you know, when they, because I was writing the script, uh, um, while we were kind of shooting it, there was places that, that some of the characters end up being where they had literally no idea when yeah. they said yes to the job, that's where they were going to be. And um, so we chucked it at them. There's a couple and... Um, and it's phenomenal the jobs that, that yeah. they they did, and I and I wish I could say who they were, but by saying it, I'll be giving shit away, and I'm not going to give right. shit away. But um, but they did a phenomenal job, and they know um, how how um, impressive that was, and how fantastic they were, and it was a real testament um, to what we were trying to do that they all stepped up. And, and it, it's go amazing. it goes to your question about what the tough bits were. I mean, we get to how dare we not enjoy it? We're allowed to play with this massive great toy. And while well, people are actually working for a living, and it's just, it's disgraceful if we if we don't do that with good nature and kindness and, and enthusiasm, and just be bloody lucky we're doing it. I mean, it's crazy. You know, some people have to sell insurance. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm sure we can talk about this. You all take night. the work seriously, but not yourself. Yeah. 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 Do you know what I mean? You can't do that. And and Nick produced an atmosphere where, like what he said earlier on about you know that freedom to be able to play within a scene. He creates an atmosphere where you, you look forward to going to work, do you know what I mean? It's because it's not even a job, basically. It's not work. It's not no. proper work. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're not, we're not, we're not laying roads or building no. houses or not, no, saving lives. No. It's, you know what I mean? But every now and again, with something like this, you have an opportunity to be, to be part of something. And I think that keys into this whole bullying thing we've got. We're behaving like there's somehow... We're not heart surgeons. If you're a heart surgeon in Aleppo, Okay, that's a reasonable equation. You're a horrible person, but you save children's lives. We're making telly. Sure. You know, and, and we've tolerated this notion that somehow there's a relationship between, between being a difficult person and creativity. There's no evidence for that. And we've got to just get over that and start. Bullshit. <laughs> that feels to me like a great way, place to end. Um, <laughs> sorry, we could talk about it all night. There's so much to discuss in the show. And congratulations on a, on a fantastic Thank series. You. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Oh.